At this time, I would like to welcome our next speaker to come to come forward, uh, Ms. Diane Burstein from the Federal Communications Commission. So Diane is the Deputy Bureau tree, Chief for the Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau at the FCC and is the head of the Disability Rights Office. Uh, Diane is no stranger to ACB and our work. Prior to joining the FCC, she worked at NCTA, the Internet and Telecommunications? Uh, yeah. yeah, Internet and Telecommunications Association. Right, the, the letters don't even mean what the, the acronym is anymore. Um, so, and Diane was involved with the process 10 years ago um, for drafting and passing the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. So, ladies and gentlemen, please join me in giving a warm welcome to Diane Burstein. Thanks for that introduction. Um, I'm very happy to be here this morning at ACB's Legislative Summit, and thanks for allowing me to say a few words about uh, 10 years of the CVAA, learn what's new at the FCC. A lot of positive change has happened in the 10 years since President Obama signed the CVAA in October 2010, and I was fortunate to be there at that uh, moment, which was really quite something. Um, and this morning, I'd like to highlight some of what the FCC's many accomplishments have been under the CVAA to improve access for people with disabilities, especially those who are blind and visually impaired, and preview some of the steps to come in the near future. Uh, and I'd save some time at the end for any questions that you might have. Uh, first, though, for those of you who are not uh, regularly interested or interact with the FCC, I wanted to provide some background on the Disability Rights Office, or DRO. The DRO is staffed with many dedicated attorneys and analysts, and it's housed in the Consumer and Governmental Affairs Bureau of the FCC. I'm fortunate today to be with two of DRO's finest, Susie Rosen Singleton, who's chief of DRO, and Will Shell, who is one of DRO's attorney advisors, who many of you may know. They are two very knowledgeable members of the team, which acts as the FCC's internal expert on disability rights issues. DRO's responsibilities range from helping consumers with complaints about particular problems with access to communication services or equipment, to advising the commission on complex rulemaking proceedings, to organizing the disability rights, uh, I'm sorry, the disability advisory committee, to outreach to the disability community, and much more. Its subject matter expertise extends to accessibility issues related to video programming, telecommunications, the telecommunications relay service, and emergency communications. Because technology and types of services available are rapidly evolving, we rely on constant interaction with the disability community to keep informed. The national leaders at ACB, leaders like Clark, Eric Bridges, Tony Stevens, and Claire Stanley, and many, mores, many more, have been a strong and consistent voice and invaluable contributors to inform us about the needs of the blind community. I can't thank them enough and the others who, many in this room, 
have filed comments at the FCC on our open proceedings. Filing comments is one effective way to ensure that the Commission addresses issues of importance to the blind and visually impaired community. Another valuable way is to file complaints with the Disability Rights Office. We look at individual complaints as well as broader trends to help ensure that our rules are being followed and that <coughs> excuse me, they are working as intended. Many of those rules arise from the FCC's work implementing the CVAA, uh, which I'd like to talk to you about a little bit more in depth this morning. The CVAA requires telecommunications devices to be accessible to individual with, individuals with disabilities, compatible with accessibility devices such as refreshable braille displays, and usable by individuals who are blind or visually impaired. In addition, the CVAA mandates that internet browsers on smartphones and other mobile devices must be accessible by people who are blind or visually impaired. People who are blind or visually impaired should be able to use internet browsers to find online information, local services or news, equally as well as sighted users. The CVAA also established the National Deafblind Equipment Distribution Program, NDBEDP, also known as ICANN Connect. NDBEDP is a $10 million a year program that distributes telecommunications equipment to low-income people who are deafblind. This program continues to provide many deafblind consumers with equipment to help them gain access to the communications network, and the ICANN Connect website is replete with incredible success stories about individuals benefiting from the NDBEDP services and programs. The FCC, through its Disability Rights Office, works with 56 different state and local organizations to provide these vital services to the deafblind. Many of the rules arising from the CVAA relate to access to video programming and related devices. For example, the CVAA requires emergency information announced on television to be accessible. As many of you know, the secondary audio stream, the so-called SAP, contains audio description and foreign language audio tracks. But it also contains oral versions of the emergency crawls that are scrolled along the bottom of the screen. If you're blind and watching TV and you hear that emergency information noise, the beep, 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 these alerts tell you to activate the secondary audio stream. We all need to know when there's an emergency and if we should take action. It's important to be able to switch over to this app quickly in order to hear the emergency information. And our rules also require that a quick and easy to use mechanism be available to switch to that emergency information. Because traditional TV is evolving and people are watching video programming in all sorts of different ways today, our accessible emergency information rules also apply to certain cases where you're watching television on a second screen too. For example, if a consumer is using a smartphone or a tablet to access TV programming in their homes, cable, satellite, and fiber TV providers must pass through a secondary audio stream 
containing audible emergency information on these second screen devices. In other words, our rules require that each cable and satellite company ensure that any application or plug-in that it provides to consumers to access regular TV programming on tablets, smartphones, laptops, and the like are capable of conveying emergency information via the SAP on second screen devices. There are some limitations under the rules that are important to be aware of. The second screen requirement only applies to a cable or satellite's own networks, such as the network located in your home on the broadband connection provided by your cable or satellite company. This requirement doesn't apply if you're on a different network connection, such as viewing TV programming at a, a local coffee shop or in the park. Speaking of the secondary audio stream, right now the commission has a rule that requires the most popular channels to provide described audio on the secondary audio stream. You're an audience that's probably familiar with audio description. However, if you're not, audio, <laughs> many people are, okay. So it, you know that it is audio narrative description of a television program's key visual elements. These short verbal descriptions of action or key visual scenes in a program, such as the setting, costumes, and facial expressions, are provided to add context and are inserted into pauses within the program's dialogue. The description is usually accessed via the secondary audio stream, the SAP. Our rules now require local television station affiliates of ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox networks, affiliates that are located in the top 60 television markets, as well as the top five non-broadcast networks, which um, as of last July are Discovery Channel, History, TBS, HDTV, and USA Network to each provide 87 and a half hours per quarter of audio described primetime and or children's programming. All of that totals about seven hours per week of audio description on each of these networks. More recently, the FCC granted USA Network a limited waiver of one aspect of the audio description requirements. USA Network showed the FCC that because it airs so many reruns that already contain audio description, and the FCC's rules do not allow many of those hours of audio-described programming to count towards compliance with the 87 and a half hours, it would not be able to meet the required number of hours of audio description. This is because the rules do not permit the networks to count reruns more than twice towards the 87 and a half hour requirement. The commission granted USA Network a waiver of the audio description rules as long as it airs at least 1,000 hours of audio described programming each quarter without regard to the number of repeats and describes at least 75% of any newly produced non-live programming that's aired between 6 a.m. and midnight each quarter. Audio description was also the topic of a report to Congress last October, which examined the amount and types of audio-described programming, consumer usage and benefits, the costs of creating described video programming, and the need for additional described programming. The report also discusses audio description and 
video programming distribute on the internet and video on demand. Another set of rules arising from the CVAA requires set-top boxes and all devices that play video programming to be accessible. What the rules require are accessible user interfaces for people who are blind or visually impaired and a means to be able to operate and use all or nearly all of the functions of a device that plays video programming. This includes the settings, menus, channel selection, start, stop, fast forward, and similar features. Most of this is accomplished through a screen reader. There are slightly different rules for cable, satellite, and fiber TV services and all other devices that play video programming. If you subscribe to cable, satellite, or fiber TV service, the provider usually must provide an accessible set-top box experience for people who are blind or visually impaired, except for a few exempt small rural analog-based cable companies. If a, a blind or visually impaired customer requests an accessible set-top box, the cable company is required to provide the equipment at no additional charge. So if you are paying $50 a month for your service and equipment and you request an accessible box, your bill should remain $50 even if the accessible box is top shelf with all the bells and whistles and would normally cost more. Your provider has to make the process of obtaining an accessible set-top box easy and to have an accessible website that includes a contact person for further assistance. The provider's designated person has to be able to explain how to get one of these devices and how to use the accessibility functions on the device. Many of you already may have an accessible device to watch video programming, but I encourage you to reach out to others to ensure they are aware of their option to obtain accessible devices. It seems that many people do not know that the devices are available or that the current device that they may have in their home already has accessible features that simply need to be activated. It's important to note that cable companies do have some flexibility on how they can achieve accessible user interfaces. Depending on who your provider is, some companies have set-top boxes, while others use an accessible tablet app that controls the set-top device. Still others provide a different add-on. The companies are allowed this flexibility, but at the end of the day, the interface has to be accessible and usable. The Commission has other accessible user interface rules that cover any device that plays video programming, like TVs, smart TVs, tablets, smartphones, removable media players, things such as Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire Sticks, computers, and even minivans, if your minivan has a screen that plays video programming. If your minivan can play video programming, it must have accessible controls. Please note that video programming is described as programming comparable to traditional television programming. The accessibility rules apply to these devices and to any pre-installed apps or video players that come with the device. The rules also apply to apps or players that a user is directed to download from the manufacturer or seller. 
So the accessibility rules are not applicable to any old app you can find in an app store, but many of these devices come preloaded with hundreds of apps. These devices must be accessible if they're manufactured on or after December 20th, 2016. So you can now find newer, accessible, off-the-shelf TVs from multiple manufacturers virtually anywhere, along with accessible DVD players and, if they're still making them now, VHS players, if that's your thing. <laughs> All of these devices must have a simple and easy-to-use mechanism to activate the secondary audio stream, something like a button key or icon. This capability to activate this app is especially important if you're trying to access emergency information, as I described before. Needless to say, the last 10 years have brought about significant changes for the better in providing accessible communication services and devices. So what comes next? Uh, we are busy at DRO preparing a notice relating to the biennial report to Congress on the accessibility of communications technologies, which is due on October 8, 2020, the 10th year anniversary of the CVAA, as required by the Act. The notice will ask detailed questions about the extent to which accessibility barriers still exist with respect to new and existing communications technologies. And we encourage you to provide input Common due dates will be announced via access info at FCC.gov, the FCC's disability-specific listserv that will keep you apprised of all the FCC's disability-related work. And I encourage you to sign up for that listserv if you haven't already. It has a lot of very valuable information. A, a reader of that, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> The CVAA gives the FCC authority in 2020 to also expand the number of television markets where TV stations must provide audio-described programming. We hope to have more news on that later uh, in the coming months. Last but not least, I want to mention the Commission's Disability Advisory Committee, uh, the DAC provides advice and recommendations to the Commission on a wide variety of disability-related issues within the FCC's jurisdiction. The DAC is in its third two-year term, and Will Shell, who's here today, is quite involved as uh, the FCC's main liaison with the DAC. It provides a means for stakeholders with interest in accessibility issues to exchange ideas, facilitates the participation of consumers with disabilities in proceedings before the FCC, and assists the Commission in educating the greater disability community and covered entities on disability-related matters. Tony Stevens is the designated ACB representative for the DAC, and we appreciate his help on the DAC. And the next DAC meeting actually is this Wednesday, February 26th. You're invited to attend in person, if you wish, at the FCC, or you can watch it live on uh, the web at FCC.gov backslash live. We'll be launching a new working group at that meeting that will examine best practices for audio description quality. Stay tuned for more details about that initiative as well. You can ask further questions by emailing dro at fcc.gov. We can answer your questions, or you can go to our website, which has lots of really great information about these rules and more. 
at FCC.gov backslash accessibility. Finally, I, want you to, I again want you to monitor our disability rights activities by signing up for a listserv. You can send an email asking to subscribe to accessinfo at FCC.gov. We look forward to continued collaboration with each and every one of you. Thanks for making a difference in, with your work in the accessibility space. And uh, we welcome any questions that you might have. Thank you. Hi, my name is Vicki Ratcliffe. I have a quick question. Maybe this is a little bit out of your spectrum of what you would do. Um, I got an LG Smart TV last year. I really like it, and it does talk. But I could not set it up because the speech did not come on until after um, it was set up. I got Comcast. Well, maybe I better not say anything. <laughs> but any, anyway, all of what, that would needed that would be needed to enter was the username and password. And even if manufacturers could um, even have app, an app on your phone, you could log in and pair it that way and set it up. It'd really be great because um, I had to wait for somebody to come, even though I had the TV. And I wasn't even setting it up on the wall, just on a little stand. But um, you know, I couldn't set it up by myself. Thank you for your uh, feedback on that. I know those are complicated issues, and uh, we'll, we certainly value your feedback on how difficult it might be to set that up. We'll take that under consideration. But you should know, if you do have um, complaints about things, in that instance, it sounds like it was a difficulty setting it up, but there should be people who are able to help at the companies um, that I know, that <laughs> in theory, uh, who, uh, especially for accessibility issues, that you should be able to contact, who should be able to help you if you have a cable or satellite provider. But the FCC can help as well if, if you want to contact us. This is Steve Bauer from California. My question is, uh, We've got a cable provider which is, in fact, passing through the SAP programming on all the required um, channels, the, the top four, top five. Uh, PBS is not one of those, and uh, we're being told that they're not required to pass through the uh, description for PBS. I'm wondering if, as a consumer, if we have any recourse in that situation. Well, um, I think it really depends on what market you're in, <coughs> excuse me, as to whether... Oh, okay. Well, uh, in that instance, if PBS is in fact transmitting the audio description in the SAP channel, the cable, or, or, I'm sorry, whatever your multi-channel provider is, assuming it's a satellite or cable provider, has an obligation to pass through the information that's in the SAP channel that's being provided. So uh, to the extent that that's not happening, that's something you might want to contact our, the Disability Rights Office about so perhaps they can look into that more because it sounds like it should be happening if it's being transmitted by the station. My question is, what do you see as the best way to facilitate continuous change? Is it the modifications of the federal regulations, or is it the expansion of the enforcement of those regulations? 
Well, uh, that's a very good question. I think that uh, the CVAA was forward-looking in giving the FCC authority over a variety of new technologies, which it did not have authority over before. But there are limits, of course, because um, it could not anticipate everything that was going to rise, and a lot has changed in 10 years. So um, I think that from the standpoint of the Disability Rights Office, it's important to keep us informed about changes that are occurring and areas where you, where you perceive gaps. And I think that one of the opportunities to talk about that will be in this upcoming notice that I mentioned where every uh, two years the FCC is, uh, launches a proceeding to examine new accessible technologies or technologies that are not accessible and then report back to Congress on that. So I would encourage you, to the extent that you have concerns about where there might be gaps, to uh, have comments filed in that proceeding so we can be made aware of it and report that to Congress. Yes, I am from Orlando, Florida, and three of our cable companies, two of the three, offer accessible television talking remotes, set-tops, et cetera, et cetera. The company that I'm with, and I brought this to Will's attention last year, AT&T has done nothing. And we're in Orlando, Florida. What is our recourse? Well, I'm, I'm sure Will has a good answer for that. Uh, <laughs> Hi, uh, this is Will. Uh, excellent question. Um, the uh, AT&T U-verse, or, uh, or I assume you're talking about AT&T U-verse. So um, specifically, it is my understanding that AT&T U-verse is using a tablet app, uh, which you can download on your uh, iPhone or on your Android device, in which that will provide the uh, screen reader in order to access some form of online program which will change uh, and, and do all of the necessary things that are in our rules in order to manipulate the set-top box. AT&T, under our rules, is allowed to use those types of uh, alternative ways of providing an accessible set-top box, so the box itself doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, have the screen reader built into it. I think it is uh, clearly not as usable, but it, it certainly meets our rules. And I think as these uh, companies, the cable companies, as they upgrade their systems, they tend to um, integrate the screen reader into the set-top box. Uh, if AT&T upgrades Uverse, uh, my hope would be that they would uh, make it a, a more user-friendly experience. We still have some more time. I can't believe that there are no, no more questions. Okay, good. Hi, it's uh, Mike Moran. I, uh, I don't know if there's much you can do about this, but uh, there have been several occasions uh, where people I know have called their cable provider, and the people at the call center or service centers didn't know anything about uh, providing the, uh, the free access and the free boxes. and They've even talked to supervisors 
who didn't know about it and had to go through so many channels before the supervisor could become familiar with uh, the rules and regulations. Is there any way you can send out a letter encouraging the providers to uh, spread the word better? Thank you for uh, that comment. I think that's been a perennial issue that has come up. And there are accessibility contact people that are supposed to be listed for these providers so that they would be uh, probably a better place to go than uh, just calling the regular uh, uh, customer care number. Because I, I think you're right, there is um, a lack of awareness sometimes at the customer care center. So um, maybe going through the accessibility contact person might be a more fruitful way to go. It, well, there's a uh, registry that the FCC has that lists all the contact names for each of the providers, and that's updated annually. It'll be updated again in, uh, I think it's April, April of 2020. Uh, so that's one easier way to find it. I hope that helps. Um, my name is Shri, and I want to piggyback off the last question. Um, you know, I have, I've been having, you know, I've had fiber services for a few years, and my provider used to have a hotline for the accessibility um, service, which they took out. So now I'm calling as a regular customer. Uh, the second question is, I know it's a very competitive market with all the providers out there. Is there any recourse for us when we sign a contract if another provider has a better accessibility that we can get a waiver to be able to switch? Uh, good questions. I, I think that probably the best thing would be for Will to get your contact information and we can look into that because um, I, I wasn't aware that there are contracts um, that, well, I guess there, there must be contracts that tie you to a particular provider for a period of time um, for video programming. So. We'd have to look into that. Good morning. This is Carl Richardson. How are you? Um, I'm also a member of the DAC. Thank you for helping on the DAC. Um, <clears throat> I wonder if you could just let um, the room at large know about the potential future in, in what is commonly known as next generation television and how that might impact audio description. Well, uh, ATSC 3.0, uh, Next Gen TV, has a lot of possible features that could be helpful. I think one of the things in particular for uh, the blind community is that it doesn't suffer from the same challenges as uh, existing television where you've got the SAP channel that has to be shared with foreign language programming yeah. and audio description on the same oh, yeah. channel, which leads to all kinds of different issues. Um, the next generation television would be a new iteration of uh, TV broadcasting that would not have the same limitations in theory, at least, that the system that we have out there today does. 
So I think that it does have the promise of having more dedicated audio uh, lanes available for serving blind consumers. Um, and it's just more flexible, I think, than the existing system today. It, as far as other accessibility issues, the uh, DRO is paying close attention to make sure that in the changeover from one type of system to the next, that there's no diminution in the accessibility of any of the programming that's available. I hope that answers your question. Uh, yes, this is, this is Merrill Schechter um, from Windsor Mill, Maryland, and my question is, I was told um, by the same cable provider that Vicki has <laughs> that um, they do not have an accessibility number to dial for questions, and I find that very um, surprising. Well, there, there should be a contact number um, for people to call. So if there isn't that, um, please get in touch with DRO and we can look into that. Yeah, <laughs> we, have, we have five more minutes of Diane's time. So if there are any more questions. Good morning, Diane. This is Sam Yale. I, I'm going to try to sneak in two questions as well. They're both related to waivers, though. Um, you did mention that the playback requirements for video programming does apply to vans, but the commission recently granted a waiver to Honda exempting them from those requirements. And so I wanted to ask for the commission's reasoning around granting that waiver and how they plan to make sure that Honda is in compliance with those regulations. And my second question is around the video game industry, because I know that uh, they were granted waivers as well from the advanced communication services requirements. And so I was wondering if you could explain the commission's reasoning around granting those waivers and what we can do to ensure uh, that the uh, communications features of video games are accessible and uh, what progress is being made around that and how we can get those requirements enforced. Thank you, uh, Sam, for your questions. I, I think that the CVAA is not absolute in some respects, and I think that some of the waivers fell under um, the provisions of the CVAA, but were time-limited. So, um, you know, some of this, I think, is going to change over time and already has changed over time. I'm not as familiar with the um, minivan example because that was handled by a different bureau than um, ours. But I think that in that instance, it also is limited in time um, as well. So, uh, you know, these are probably new requirements that perhaps car manufacturers weren't as aware of um, when this all was being developed. But I'm sure they're aware of it now. Is there any, Susie, do you have anything to yeah. add to that? Okay. Yes. Um, hello. My name is Marie Brinius, um, Fairfax, Virginia. Just point of clarification for a question that was asked earlier about these TVs that are available now that, you know, have, um, you know, features that, you know, um, like my friend Vicky says, you know, that, you know, talk. But 
not out of the box. So calling the accessibility office to get help won't help because they're going to walk you through screens. But if it's not, um, it's counterintuitive because you can't you can't see it anyway. So. Um, like Apple, when they first came out, you know, I had to hand my um, iPhone to my sister and walk her through. But now they have the triple click home where you can do it and go from there. So these TVs that offer that kind of have to be ready out of the box. That's what my friend was saying. And it's, that's not um, true as of yet. Thank you for, for that and feedback. Yeah. And we have time for one more question. I just wanted to give the Comcast accessibility number, 855-270-0379. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dan. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Susie had one point of clarification. Oh, Susie? Yeah. Hi, this is Susie speaking. And I just wanted to add to Diane's comment in response to the video game question. So I'm pleased to share that the waiver did expire uh, in December 28th, or 2018, sorry, December 2018. So if you have experienced any issues with accessibility of advanced communication services with video gaming, please do let us know. Thank you. Thank you so much, Susie. Um, thank you so much, Diane. That was really helpful. We appreciate it. We're going to go ahead and take a 15-minute break. Before we do so, though, I know Will Shell. Uh, you were referenced a few times. You're a great ally to ACB. Do you mind standing up and indicating where you are so if people have any questions, maybe clap your hands. Thank you. 